set aside, that means to treasure up, a portion or a sum in keeping with your income. And what does that mean? It means that you've been blessed. It's this idea that you're on a prosperous journey of your life, that you're able-bodied and able to earn an income. And so he says, as part of your prosperous journey, you should treasure up a portion of it and set it aside for Sunday. In particular, he's saying here that when the collections come due, you've already decided what you're going to give. You've already decided ahead of time how you're going to give. So we can partner in the gospel through financial support. How do we do this? We plan and we give to support others. And Paul says this, and I want you to see it. It should be a normal part of the Christian life. On the first day of each week, look at that, there's repetition to it. This is a habit we get into. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money or treasure up a portion of your prosperous journey, saving it so that when I come, the collections can be made. Or what does it say? When I come, no collections will have to be made because you'll already decided. you already say, here's what we have to give. Uh, financial support is an opportunity for, to participate, uh, partner in the gospel. Paul's talking about particular collections here, but as a greater overarching principle for our lives. He encourages us to um, store it up, you know, like make hay while the sun shines, while things are good. This would be part of our, our response. And, and I almost called it offer. I was almost going to title it, uh, this one, uh, we partner when we offer financial support. But Paul doesn't say offer financial support. He says give it. And uh, I, I think that's a funny thing, but there's a little bit of difference. Many times we say, oh, we're willing. We're willing to give. We're willing to support. But do we actually ever get to the point where we do support, where we do give? Do we get to that place of our lives, right? And uh, I, I don't know how you run your household, um, but one of the things we work really hard to do in our family is we try to teach our children to be intentional with the things that they've earned at a young age. And the way we did that, and I'm going to explain it to you real fast here, is we did these three envelopes. They were called Give, Save, Spend. That's what we did, give, save, spend. We didn't make this up. It's from the Dave Ramsey idea, but it's a very rudimentary budget, if you will, for children. You get a money from anywhere, whether it's a gift, whether it's a, in, a check or anything else, and you decide, of this, what am I gonna give? What am I gonna save? And what am I gonna spend, right? And, uh, and so I tell this because, and I can tell uh, the story today, maybe, um, but uh, so this was really good. So, you know, we're naturally givers. Like, when you're a kid, you kind of usually start, like, you start out, by being willing to share. It's only over our time and jadedness we become more and more selfish, right? We start with like, oh yeah, you can have all of that or you can have a portion of that or whatever. And so we were walking with our kids through this process. Um, well, what would you like to give? You, you know, you, you got $5. What would you like to give? Well, I'll give a dollar. Okay, so we put a dollar in the give envelope. What would you like to save? Uh, I'll save $2. Awesome, $2 in a save. What do you want to spend? Three, okay. Next time, you know, one, Three, two, whatever it is, it breaks down. I'm going to give all five. I'm going to give this. I'm going to do this, right? Well, one of our children, who shall remain nameless, had been doing this for a while. And one envelope was really fat. And one envelope was kind of fat. One envelope was completely empty. Can you imagine which was which? The really fat, you might say it was the savings was really fat, right? Because he's been saving a long time. But it was the give. It was the give. And I was like, well, oh, that's interesting. And we begin to discuss, why is the give envelope full? And they go, because I don't know who to give this to. I don't know where to give this. And I thought, what an awesome problem to have. If you set aside, start up a treasure for yourself ahead of time, you've decided you're going to set aside a portion or a, 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 something that God's led you to do, then you have to all of a sudden have the burden of actually doing the giving. See, it's not the intention of giving. 
It's not the willing to offer, well, I have some money, I will give if someone ever, but you have to actually then find a way to give the money. You have to do the action. And I thought that was such a beautiful lesson about not my children's life, but my own life. We can all be willing to help, but do we actually help? Have we taken that step of faith to do it, to give? By the way, Paul says um, the, the word gift here is interesting because it actually is the same word as grace or charity, right? It's, it's uh, charis in the Greek. It's the exact same word as grace. He says so that you can have a grace when we come to you. You can have a charity ready to go. I, I would encourage you to think of your life. And by the way, um, there's an order to that on purpose to give, save, spend. That would be the order that we do things. Because if we start with spending, we never get to giving or saving, Right? And so that's what we teach in our home. Maybe you do something similar. Maybe you don't. I would encourage you to think about that. But once you have it, and one more thing I'll tag on here. Once you have it, then you're burdened to give it. We are going to have a town hall next week. And part of the town hall, by the grace of God, we intend to present a budget to the church. Um, and part of our desire as your leadership team has been to give a greater portion of our income away. We already support things like Relevant here in town. We support the food pantry here in town, I believe. And uh, we support the Ficker family as a church family. Um, that money leaves our facility and goes into other places. But our desire as a team is to grow that portion that we're giving, Right? And the way we're going to have to do that is by making a plan ahead of time and storing up a portion to give. And so we're implementing that same principle as a church family, that we would give, and we would have the savings, and then we would have our spending for the things that we need every day. Um, God is always faithful, by the way. Well, you may discover, you begin to manage your finances on purpose like this, that you never want for things. It's not because of the prosperity gospel. It's because you already are prospering. God's already given you more than you need. He's given me more than I need. And we can share then in the lives of others through financial support. So I'd encourage you to think about that as well. Paul lays it out there in those four verses. And then he says, I'm going to send it with trustworthy people back to Jerusalem. And that's because that's where they were kind of centered at. And there's a whole thing we can study there. We won't get into this morning. But they were sending it back as an offering um, to be used and distributed amongst the people of God. And so this is the intention of the gifts was to be distributed um, back in Jerusalem to the churches where they are needed. Again, it's a collaboration effort. It's working together for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and we are able to do that when we financially support um, other gospel-centered ministries and other brothers and sisters in the faith, all right? Verse five then, after I go through Macedonia, then Paul says, I will come to you because I will be going through Macedonia. So he's kind of mentioning at the end, if I need to go to take the gift, I will take it also, but I'll, otherwise I'm gonna send trustworthy people back to Jerusalem. And after I go through Macedonia, I'm gonna come to you because I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the entire winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. Look at the word there. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, Pentecost because a great door of effective work has been opened to me and there are many who oppose me. And so I want us to see that another way that we can partner in the gospel is very simple. So I've laid out a couple. We can do the work of the Lord. We can point our suffering toward the kingdom of God. Uh, we can give financially, and we can visit other believers or other Christians. And, and that might sound like a trite thing to say, visit other believers. But again, I'm trying to give you some, uh, some practical ways that Paul lays out. What's he say? I'm going to go through Macedonia myself, and then I'm going to come to you. Do you think that would be an encouragement to the church in Corinth when Paul came to them? 
Do you think he'd be glad to get Paul after he got this letter, right? I mean, do you think he'd be excited to see him come and, and spend some time with them? But what does he say? Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the entire winter. So this is like a longer visit. He's going to spend a lot of time investing in this church. And so that, what does he say? You can help me on my journey wherever I go. So Paul's going to be encouraged as he visits. I've been amazed as I spend time with other brothers and sisters in the Lord that we walk away mutually encouraged. <laughs> that when we meet together and we have some time, we say, what's God doing in your life? When we leave the table, when we leave the meeting, when we leave the opportunity, we are both encouraged in the Lord, in faith. This is what gospel-oriented people do. We visit one another for encouragement, for mutual encouragement, Right? Again, we have a tendency to put Paul on this high shelf of Christianity, and yet he says, when I come to Corinth, this church that we talked about having so much wrong, you're going to help me continue my journey of faith. You're going to cause me to grow in my belief. You're going to cause me to become a more faithful servant of our Lord. He thinks these things are true. I, I wanted to get some... Um, practical ideas here, maybe how we can do these things, right? And so I want to throw out a few things. Examples of ways we can visit with other believers. Uh, the one is, the, we talked about already, a mission trip. Maybe you're called to do a mission trip. That's a very explicit, tangible way that you can go and participate with someone else who's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've done several of them here at Family Bible Church. We visited um, with uh, Jeremiah Project in Guatemala. We visited with, um, um, uh, what is the, um, Honduras Promise Home in Honduras and Brother Bill down there. We've got to go and encourage him and be encouraged by him. We've got to go with Rock Ministries in Kenya. And then we've got to go with the Fickers in Guatemala. And I'm, is that all I'm trying to think of anymore? But we've been able to travel the globe, not to be globetrotters, but to encourage a brother or sister in the work and be encouraged ourselves in the work. So missions trips, one way you can do it. But here's another way you can do it. Visiting with a, a, fa a family member um, in their faith. You can take a Sunday, if you know someone else who's believing in the Lord, you take a Sunday and worship with them and encourage them in their faith. Or you can go out and grab coffee. And if you know, see, here's why mission trips are really nice in this way, because you're explicitly going for the gospel. You're not going, there's no confusion about why you're there. You're going to go and talk about your faith life and encourage one another in faith. And so you show up and you say, wow, this is awesome what you're doing. You know, and you pray together and all that. But that intentionality isn't always built into friend relationships or family relationships. But when you come, you can have that intentionality. You can ask some questions. Well, what, are you, what, are you, what have you learned from Scripture lately? Or what has God been teaching you through your life? Or what, how is your church growing? Where is your church struggling? How can I be praying for what God is doing in your church? See, this kind of encouragement is mutually beneficial for us as we follow the Lord together. So we can do that. We can visit with other folks in their churches, encourage them in their faith. Um, another thing we talked about already a little bit is we can visit elderly or shut-ins. Those folks have been living the faith of Christ for a very long time, <laughs> very often longer than I've been alive. And I work to encourage them in their faith, and I am invariably blessed because I do that. I hope maybe you would do it as well. You, maybe it's not a stranger, but a friend. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you can think of an aunt or an uncle or, or a parent or a grandparent who's feeling a bit isolated, spend time with them. Encourage them in the faith. Have that confidence to try. Um, and then here's some other things then. Neighbors, right? Um, you, you, can, you can go and uh, visit people in the hospital when they're ill. Show up. Just dare to walk through the room. You know, there's a holy threshold, and it's right at that door. And I get it. You can probably get all the way down the hall, and you get there, and you're like, what am I doing here? I'm not sure they want me here. 
I'm not sure what I'm going to say when I get in there. I'm not sure how bad it's going to be. I'm not sure I'm ready for this. But you know what you do? You grab the handle. You may knock first. You grab the handle, you turn it, and you take that step of faith through the door. And then you see it. And you see the struggle, and you see the blessing, and, and you hear the prayer, you hear the prayer requests, and then you know what you do? You give yourself over and you just pray. Let's, can we pray about it? And if you don't, you say, ah, Bill, I'm not the kind of person, I don't have those kind of, kind of words. Well, guess what? Visit with them, and as you leave, and you go back out of that threshold, walk down that hall, and pray, 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 pray. If you can't do it in the room, but that's a great blessing to people to pray in the room, as you leave, just pray as you leave. Oh God, would you intercede there? God, would you heal them? God, would you give them the hope? God, would you encourage them? We thank the Lord for his faithfulness. So you can do that in hospital care. And then the last thing I'm thinking of, and there's many, many more, by the way, it's almost anywhere, but you, prisons. We've been blessed with a great prison ministry. You know, this Thursday, we're gonna feed a, a meal. Our prison ministry is gonna feed a meal to a bunch of men who are actually trying to make their lives better while they're in prison. And I'll say something to you. When you go to prison in the United States, you have to try to make your life better. Because by default, if you just go in there and left to the mechanisms at hand, your life's going to be worse when you come out, not better. But there are some folks in the prison that we are connected with. They're in something called the PLUS program. And they try to make their lives better, right, um, through community. And then this Thursday night, we're doing a celebration meal. Family Bible Church is putting on a meal for them to celebrate their success in graduating from the PLUS program. We praise God for that. But you can do that. And maybe it's not the PLUS program. Maybe it's a friend who's gone to jail. Maybe it's someone that you know that's gone to jail. I would encourage you to reach out to consider visiting those who, are, who, are, who often feel forgotten or unloved. Okay? So then one final thing. We'll move on to the next point here. So what do you do then? So I've encouraged you to maybe go to the churches and celebrate with your friends and what they're doing in the gospel. I've told you to meet with your folks. Maybe you don't agree everything doctrinally. That's one of the problems I have because I'm a doctrinal guy. Right? So I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, it's like, it's like half celebration and half cringe, you know, like when, when we talk about things because I'm wrong as much as anything, right? But what do you do? You affirm what you can affirm. You celebrate what you can celebrate. I mean, don't, don't just go blank and celebrate everything because that's not honest. That's not genuine. But you look for the spots and you go, that's awesome that you're praying like that. That's awesome that you're serving that way. That's awesome that you're going to do that mission trip or you're, or you're supporting that hospital, whatever it is that's happening. And we celebrate the things that we can. We celebrate the things we can and we affirm what can be affirmed. We celebrate what can be celebrated and then we pray about everything. Because one of my greatest prayers after I meet with folks who I don't always agree with on every point is I leave and I pray like, God, what was that about? Do they know something I don't know? Am I wrong in some way about this? And leave praying for them that God would continue to bless them. What a great encouragement. He, Paul says, I'm going to go through Macedonia and perhaps I'm going to stay with you for a while. And then I'm going to go to Ephesus. He's talking about Ephesus in here. And I'm going to wait until the time of Pentecost. That's a celebration of the coming Holy Spirit. They're already beginning to recognize the, the revelation of God through Pentecost. So he's like, I'm going to do all these things because visiting with other Christians is a great gift in the gospel. Now, 16.9. But he says this, but I may stay on in eight um, at Ephesus until Pentecost, but I will stay on. Why? Because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And so Paul says we can visit other Christians and encourage them, but he also says this then, that we should, this way I interpret this, by the way, that we should discern opportunities. What's Paul say? I'm going to stay on at Ephesus. 
until Pentecost. Why? Because a great door of effective work has been opened. That to me means that Paul must be paying attention. There's this idea that we can kind of create a ministry out of whole cloth and then hope that God blesses it. You ever heard that, right? Like, I, I, I want to do something because I have a passion for it. And then you kind of try to gin up the energy for it and people excited for it. And you're going to go on, you're going to run off and you're going to make this great thing happen. And then you're going to pray, God, would you bless what I've already done? Would you bless what I've already made? It seems to me that Paul says here, a great door for effective work has been opened to me is that Paul says, man, I've been wanting to come to you, but there's this great thing God's doing over here and I want to go be part of it. See, there's a reality that you can kind of try to wholesale create some opportunity, or you can look around your life and say, God, where are you already working? And when you see the place where God's already working, you just jump in there with a shovel or a paintbrush or whatever, you can get involved in the work, and you start working for that end. God's already at work over here. We can discern the places that God is already at work, and we can celebrate and join in the work there. That's partnering in gospel ministry, discerning opportunities. And Paul makes the case there. I'm going to hang out there until Pentecost because it's a great opportunity. And there are many who oppose the work, right? So he's like encouraging the church to be mindful of the opportunities that God has already given you. And with that in mind, I want to ask a question then. Where is God already working? We're going to talk about this a little more in a moment. But where is he already at work? Where have you already sensed his movement? Maybe if you don't fully understand the vision yet of what's happening, where do you already see the work happening? Or this, what unique opportunities or what unique relationships has God put you in or given to you? One of the great gifts of integrating our faith and our life is this, that you get to walk places that no one else gets to walk. You get to see things no one else gets to see. And if you walk with that discerning spirit where you're like, God, show me where you're at work, you will see things that no one else in this room will ever see because you are there by the grace of God for a purpose. So you can discern the opportunities that are around you. What relationships already exist that you could leverage for the sake of the gospel to be a blessing to other people? What opportunities can you participate in that are already existing that you can jump into and serve with? Discern those. Paul says, I'm going to stay on and I'm going to work. Going on then in verse 10. And this is where it just, to me, it just begins to knit together these, this beautiful tapestry of the lives of the saints. He begins to articulate what God has been doing through the people of God. And, and, and you can, for all of Paul's lamenting early in the book about how broken so much stuff is, he begins to kind of wind it all up here at the end of the letter. And, uh, and, and it, it, to me, it begins kind of here. If Timothy comes... See to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, because he knows it can be contentious, right? For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. And so he's like advocating for Timothy. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. So Paul's like, man, receive him freely and let him go freely and let him come, because we're all doing the same thing in the gospel. Now, verse 12, look at this, about our brother Apollos. You remember Apollos? You know, Apollos is this great orator and all this gifted speaker. He says, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go right now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. So not only is Paul saying, Apollos don't have a beef. We're not, we're not against each other. He's like, I've been telling Apollos to come to you and encourage you in the work, but he's not willing to go right now. So they're on this, he's what? We're on the same side. We're partners in the gospel. This is a reiteration of what he already taught them, which is one plants, the other waters, but God makes it grow. That ultimately we're just coordinating together. <clears throat> he will go when he has the opportunity. So, so what, what do we get from this then? And it's this idea that when we partner, we partner in the gospel when we coordinate together. 
you can see how Paul is going. There's these other people that are called to, um, to serve in different ways, and we partner together in the gospel. Um, he's already lined out the Timothy when he comes. Don't give him a hard time. You, you know, it's kind of funny about Timothy, but <clears throat> he's, he, he kind of seems like um, he's a little soft-spoken. He, he, I don't want to undermine it, but he seems like, you know, Paul's like exhorting him to good work and then telling the church, be easy on Timothy. He needs a little grace when he comes to you. Don't overwhelm him by confronting him. And then he's like, and then Apollos, I, I've been telling them to come to you, and they're eager to receive Apollos. Verse 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong and do everything in love. So here it is, going back to 13, like just be rooted in the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that? That's a love toward his people. Why is divisiveness in the church so harmful? Because Jesus died for us. He died for us. We are his people. And we poke and prod and antagonize one another. We're antagonizing someone for whom Jesus Christ died. We ought not be that way. No, do everything in love, he says. Stand firm in your faith. Be people of courage. Be strong. Verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Again, Paul's dropping more names here about people who've integrated in the life of faith. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at the work. So anyone is participating in the gospel, join with them, encourage them, don't separate from them. I was glad to see, uh, let's see here, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, and Archaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking in you. And this is that sub-point I wanted to make uh, because I said, you know, we coordinate together and discern opportunities, these last two things I've talked about. But there's a really interesting line here in, in 17 where it says, or in 18 it says, or 17 it says, these Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus, Achaicus um, arrived. He was encouraged, why? Because they supplied what was lacking from Corinth, right? And, and, um, because they refreshed my spirit and yours also, and such people deserve recognition. What does he say? They met an unmet need. I said to you, maybe discern where God is already working and do a work or to coordinate together. And Paul, you can just hear, I wonder what his giftedness was, right? But you can see how he's going, I'm gonna send this person, I'm gonna encourage that person, and they're gonna come back to me and we're gonna be encouraged together. We're all gonna come together and we're working together for the gospel, right? But even in all the moving parts where Paul sees all the blessings is happening, there's someone outside of it that says, but you know what's still lacking? You know where, I thought of this as like an image of a road. There's a smooth road being paved, but there's this crack that no one's paying attention to. And you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's annoying. You ever been on the highway, you go to that thing, it goes, da-dunk, 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 da-dunk. You ever do that? And you get mad. Okay, you don't get mad because you're better a Christian than me, but I get mad and I change lanes. And this one's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm like, would someone just fill the holes? Can, am I the only person experiencing this reality? This is what these three folks did. They saw this need that wasn't being met and they met the need, right? That's coordinating together. One very practical way you can coordinate together is look around for the gaps and fill the gap. Is it your highest, holiest calling? Is it the thing that everyone's going to, wow, I can't believe. Maybe they'll even notice it. But sometimes we'll be on the road, like, just driving. It's be like, smooth. That's what Paul says. They met the needs that were lacking in you, that they saw the opportunities that existed. This is a great way we can coordinate together. So maybe you're not a Paul who you see the, all the players in the field and how they're working, but maybe you're on the field and you go, but there's this one thing I can do and make it smoother for everybody. Just do that one thing. What a gift that is to the church. Um, <clears throat> as we think about uh, 
what Paul lays out here of coordinating together, here's some realities that come out of this. He mentioned Timothy. He mentioned Apollos. He mentioned um, Stephanus. He mentioned, um, what else was it? Fortunus and uh, um, Achicus. He mentioned all these folks who are doing their part for the gospel. I want you to see something in it, that no one is doing everything. Even the apostle Paul, great as he is, he's not doing it all. He's going, but Timothy's doing this, and Apollos is doing that, and this other person's been doing this thing, and the church in Corinth has been doing this other thing. No one's doing everything, but everyone can do something, or everyone can do some things. So I said, you know, maybe that gap filling you're going to do isn't the totality of what you're called to do, but you can do that while you do this other thing over here, too, that you're called to. Everyone can contribute. This is Paul's vision for life in the church. This is what it means to be the church. No one does everything, but everyone does something. There's this tendency that we have, perhaps, <clears throat> that we look at a problem, and we believe that everyone sees the problem the way we see it. They see the same needs. They see the same lacks. They get the same passion, right? And this is a, conf I'll confess, this is the brokenness I have. So I see something, and I'm like, why isn't everyone else as passionate about this issue as I am? And I get a little frustrated sometimes. Like, come on, people, this is awesome. Look at this thing. And then I realize, no, they don't need to be. Uh, one of the things that I've often told married couples, and I'm going to talk about married couples for a moment because that's an image of Christ in the church. Remember that? Paul says this is a great mystery, but it's an image of Christ in the church on a deeper level. I've told couples when they get married, one of the great frustrations in a marriage is he's not like me or she's not like me. We're totally opposites. How many times have I heard that? Like almost every time I've heard that doing premarital counseling. I have this throwaway line I use on that. If, if you're both exactly the same, one of you isn't required, right? Like, 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 in matter of fact, if both of you are the same, you would drive yourself crazy. But in God's grace, he called people who are different together to be more together than they are apart. This is the idea of being completers. Well, guess what? I tell you a great mystery, but this is Christ in his church. That we're different. That everyone's not going to respond the same way that we do. But by the grace of God, as we all respond in the way God has made us to respond, somehow in the tapestry of his grace and the totality of his church, greater things are done. The body becomes more together than we are apart. Why? Because we're celebrating the diversity of God's creation. We're, we're celebrating the diversity of relationship. This is a great point of angst many times for our churches. They don't see it the way I see it. Yes, that's by design. We all see it a bit differently so we could all respond the way God's called us to respond. And so then we have this opportunity to serve. Praise God. Paul says this then. They supply what was lacking, verse 18, and they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such people, such men, deserve recognition. Celebrate that amongst yourselves. And then here Paul's gonna turn into the final stretch of the letter. It says this in verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. And actually, the word starts there with greetings. Greetings from the church of Asia is the way he starts that. Greetings from Aquila and Priscilla, warmly in the Lord. And, and the church that meets in their house greets you as well. All the brothers here send their greetings. Greetings from all the brothers. Again, the greeting starts that. Um, and greet one another with a holy kiss. Share the love amongst yourselves. You're greatly loved, church in Corinth. Don't forget that. You're greatly desired, church of Corinth. You're greatly appreciated. We send our blessings to you. And Paul begins to kind of knit this together in the totality of what God is doing. 
Don't think you're the only people following Christ. Don't think it's all up to you. We're all on the same team. We're all working together for the gospel. We greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Have some affection for one another. Don't, don't, don't be hostile to each other. I, Paul, then he turns. Look how personal this gets. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. He's like, I've labored for this letter to you. I've longed to say this. I'm saying these things in love. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. If anyone does not love the Lord, may they be cursed. And then he says, Marathana there. Come, O Lord, that the Lord would come amongst his people. This is the final point. When we partner together, um, we partner by giving ourselves. You see, I asked earlier, I said, no, we can, we can uh, do work and we can give financially and we can suffer for a purpose. But ultimately, we have to give deeply of ourselves. And you can hear Paul as he wraps up the letter to the church in Corinth. He's like saying, we're all giving ourselves to one another. All the other churches are giving themselves to you. All the saints of history have been giving themselves to the gospel in the same way that we're calling you to give yourself to the gospel. There's nothing unique in your call in that way. It's all part of the same work. We all send you greetings. Be gracious to one another. And he says, I write this with my own hand, right? Paul has a great love, a great affection. Why does he care so much about Corinth? Why does he care so much about Ephesus? Why does he care about Galatia? Why does he care about all these churches that are planted? Because he's deeply loving them in the gospel. Here's the thing. We cannot be the church of Christ and not give of ourselves. We sang a song this morning, and I was so pleased to see the lyric, and we didn't plan it. I didn't plan it. But it's got to cost something. It's got to be a little tender. It's got to hurt a little. It's got to be, I, I, I love you, Lord, but I have to give that. I have to do that. I have to walk in that room. And Paul says, yeah, we give ourselves. And you can hear at the end this letter. I love how he ends it. It's, it's such, you know, you always sign a card or something and say, love. It's like trite almost. Love. Or sometimes if we're hip, we say, much love. It's a little like arm block on the love, just to throw it out there. Not that kind of love, you know. Uh, no, that kind of love. The kind that's going to cost us something to give to one another. The kind that's going to cost us something to give to those who are estranged from Christ. That kind of love is what the church is called to. The body of Christ. And... Uh, and Paul gives it freely here. I write this in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, may they be cursed. Marathana, O come, Lord. And then he ends the letter this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Look at how he ends it. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. I mean, what was the letter about? It was about how much Paul loved the church and who the church is. We ought to have that kind of love for one another. We ought to give of ourselves. So what is the calling then as we end? What, is the, what, is it, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean for family Bible to be the church? What does it mean for the church, like in our country, to be the church? Or, or even the church globally to be the church? Show me. I said, what? Do you, do you remember? To those who are calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Show somebody. We often stand outside of the church and criticize. They should, they should, they should. No, we should what? Show me. Show someone else 
I mean, show me, show me, show somebody. Do you lament the way the church is broken? Show somebody. No, this is what the church looks like. This is what the gospel is. That's the charge. That's the call. And it's not up to me, it's up to us. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much for the totality of the reality that we've dug into, of all that it means for this life and a life to come. And then, Father, I just feel at the end here this gift of love for your people, this gift of compassion for your people, where you, where you give us everything we need, and then you send us out, and you encourage us. Now go and show. Father, would you compel us to do that? I confess as one amongst many that I've too often said how things are wrong, but not spent my life showing how things should be right. Would you compel us to show how things should be right in your name? Would you convict us of our own sin? Oh, Father, when we wound someone else or injure them, would you, would you convict us we might repent and confess that to one another? And then would you demonstrate amongst us the great love you've demonstrated in the cross? Help us to be gospel bearers, to be folks who are loving others when it costs us greatly. And Lord, as we do that work, we become more like you. I'm reminded of the cross of salvation, Father, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. There was nothing beautiful about us, nothing attractive, and yet you came to give us life, not just now, but forever with you. May we be the kind of people that participate in that kind of a glorious gospel. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance we've had to explore your word with you. Now help us to live it out. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.